raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, my name is Nigel. Hammer right over there with a pair of very special guests on the drivehubler.com hotline. Anya and Kevin are the folks behind the Murder Sheet podcast. And honestly, if we're just having real talk, nobody has done a better job of reporting about what's happening in this Delphi murder than the folks at the Murder Sheet podcast. Anya, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And Anya, let's start with you. Today was a big day in terms of information. What happened and what did we learn? First of all, thank you so much for that lovely compliment. Um, today was indeed a huge day for information in this case. Uh, previously, Kevin filed into the case essentially asking the judge to make public everything that had not been sealed. So basically everything that the defense and the prosecution didn't ask to be kept secret and sealed, um, we basically said the public should be able to see that essentially. The judge agreed. The judge looked through all these different documents and ended up releasing uh, over 100 documents today. So wait, hold, hold on, back up. You guys yeah. are the reason wait, we have this information? Yes, us and a wonderful attorney named Shay Hughes. Uh, he and Kevin wow. basically looked into this and crafted a filing to essentially just try to get some more information out there. And Kevin, uh, you had a big hand in this. Take me through the process. Like, did the police try to get you to not do this? No, actually, no one tried to stop us. We reached out to the judge prior to filing. We reached out to the judge through a member of her staff. And the staff member basically told us, yeah, there is a problem here, and the only way it's going to change and the only way things will get released is if someone files a motion to trigger judicial action. So I took that as a green light to go ahead and do so, and I did. Okay, because to me, it seems like the authorities have been really protective yes. of finding out how these young ladies died. And today, because of your work, we found out how they were murdered. So take me through what you know. Yes, it's very disturbing. And I'll note that now that a trial is underway and, you know, there's a case being built against Richard Allen, um, some of those details are going to come out in court anyway at some point. So I think that also influences prosecution and law enforcement being a little less protective of some of that. Um, unfortunately, we did discover how the girls uh, died. Uh, we found out, you know, it was via uh, knife wounds, essentially. We also discovered a lot more about the search warrant and how authorities went about sort of arresting Richard Allen. Take me through. What did you learn? Basically, uh, they re-questioned him in 2023 in October. Uh, this is after he was initially kind of questioned and that sort of tip fell by the wayside in 2017. So in 2023, he's telling them, Yes, I have. Uh, you know, I was there at the trails that day. I was on the bridge. I was walking. I saw these people. They saw me. And I was wearing a blue Carhartt jacket and basically an outfit that is not inconsistent with bridge guy. So um, that and the fact that 
both Alan and his wife, Kathy, indicated that he had guns and knives in the house and potentially still that blue heart jacket was the basis for the police saying, OK, we need to be getting access to this guy's house and searching it. OK, because previously it sounded like just finding this shell casing was the reason behind this big search. You're telling me there was a little bit more to it. Yes. Part of it was uh, the gun and sort of we need to be able to match something to this bullet. And then a part of it was the clothing. Now, the defense is contesting this. They're saying that's not enough, but that is enough, according to the prosecution, at least. What? Yeah. So so what is the I, I remember the last time we talked and and we had already known that Richard Allen had had been saying that he was the one that killed Abby and Libby. That that was already known. I, we hadn't seen it in official documents. I think you guys were reporting that. Um, and that was around the time Richard's defense team was saying, um, yeah, he's not being treated very well where he's at. His mental health is deteriorating. We want him transferred. He's refused food. Um, his His mental fitness is deteriorating. Do you think that's going to be um, coming into play during the trial? I think that's going to come into play in a huge way. And in fact, we, we learned a bit more details about just how and when Richard Allen made these incriminating statements. It turned out he actually made them on April 3rd in a phone call that was recorded with his wife. And he made the statements repeatedly to the extent that she ended up hanging up and ending the call abruptly. And after that, Richard Allen's mental condition really seemed to deteriorate. He stopped making calls. He seemed more reluctant to eat. He started engaging in odd behavior, like he would take his paperwork and he would wet it and actually eat it. Kevin, what did you learn about his time in prison? How was he being treated? Uh, Because it sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yes. Basically, it's almost like living in two different universes, because in the universe that's described by the defense, they're painting a picture of a person who's in prison of war conditions, living in a room as small as a dog kennel and really being abused. But according to the prosecution in some of these filings that were released today, he's being treated just like any other person in his condition. And even if he was moved to a different facility, his condition wouldn't really improve. And the prosecution argues that the real reason he is undergoing these mental torments is because he is a guilty man. Uh, We're speaking with Anya and Kevin from the Murder Sheet podcast. Uh, New details have been unsealed in the uh, Abby and Libby in, in terms of the Delphi murders and the cause of death. Uh, Richard Allen has admitted to murders. It's one thing to admit to the murder uh, over the phone on his wife on a recorded phone call. It's another thing to do it in a court of law, and that's really what this is going to come down to. What do you see happening here in the future? Um, well, definitely the defense is a talented team of attorneys, and they're going to be trying to get as much evidence suppressed as possible. So they're going to try to challenge the gun. They will, I imagine, challenge the recordings from Westville. They might look into whether he was competent or not mentally when he made those statements. You know, how coherent were those confessions? Was he just saying, I did it? Was, were there any details? So they're going to be basically poking holes in the state's case. Meanwhile, the state is going to be trying to retain all that and basically trying to 
to, you know, convince a jury that, you know, these confessions, uh, the bullet being at the scene, him placing himself at the scene in that outfit on the day of, they're going to be trying to kind of string that together as a narrative to point to him as a guilty man. So it's just going to be kind of two talented sets of attorneys going at it. And, you know, ultimately, uh, a lot of this may be determined in pretrial motions, what what gets suppressed, what doesn't get suppressed. Kevin, go, t- t- take me back to the beginning of this segment. And you, you mentioned this briefly, and Hammer had asked you, uh, like, we've spoken to um, the Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter several times since 2017. Why don't we know the cause of death? Why don't we have a murder weapon? And his answer was always, we have to keep these details as close to the vest as possible because we are the only ones that know about them and we have to be able to connect that in case we do find somebody. Um, Now it seems like they're pretty confident that they have their guy and these details are going to come out anyway. Can you get a little, can you delve a little more into the weeds on that and say why all of a sudden now we have this, these specific details after all these years? Well, basically, as you say, it comes down to the fact that they have the man who they say is guilty. So he he needs to have the right to have all this evidence presented to him, and the public can also examine it and help determine his guilt or innocence. And for for instance, the fact that there was a, a shell recovered at the crime scene, there was actually good reason to keep that secret all those years because if the killer knew that he'd left that shell there, he would have gotten rid of the gun that fired it. But now that police are confident that they have the gun that fired it and that they have the man who owned the gun, it's not so important to keep that secret anymore. If that makes sense. And one of the things that is just bizarre to me from all these documents that were unsealed today, and I'm going to read this word for word, quote, Richard M. Allen was wetting down paperwork he had gotten from his attorneys and eating it. He was refusing to eat, refusing to sleep. He would go days of refusing to sleep. He further broke the tablet that he used for text messages and phone calls. It kind of just takes you inside the mind of what's going on here. This guy is a lunatic. Right. It sounds definitely like a disturbed mind. And it's going to be a question of will the jury think that this is an innocent man who's been pushed to the brink by terrible conditions and a horrible situation that he finds himself in? Or is this the bizarre behavior of a person who is perhaps overwhelmed by their own guilt or struggling Mm. with mental health? And, you know, they did commit the crime. Last thing here before we let you go. Again, we're chatting with Anya and Kevin from the Murder Sheet podcast. Of the 100 documents that were unsealed today, aside from the cause of death, which I think is the big headline here, what stands out to you? Was there anything really surprising? I don't think necessarily surprising is the right word, but I think we were definitely gratified to see the search warrant finally. That's been one of those things that's been a missing piece in basically our understanding of the case. And now we're finally seeing, okay, here's exactly how they got into his house. Here's exactly what led them there. And also the fact that he basically made all these statements in 2022 indicates that, you know, basically that was pretty fresh information for law enforcement. And so it makes the search warrant seem stronger as a result when there was a lot of unknowns and speculation, maybe there would be some concern that it was a very weak search warrant. Where can folks get the latest on this story? 
You can check us out on any platform that you listen to podcasts on. Uh, just look up The Murder Sheet. That's S-H-E-E-T. And uh, subscribe. And we always label our Delphi coverage as the Delphi Murders so you can follow along or listen to our other uh reporting on other shows or other crimes rather Anya, kevin great work keep grinding away and we'll talk to you soon thanks so much for having us it's the hammer and nigel show raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to mcdonald's and treat yourself to the grandma mcflurry today and participating mcdonald's for a limited time